2: Hello, everyone, and welcome to our Wednesday edition of the Orange and or Brown Talk podcast. This is a Hey Mary Kay edition of the podcast. We're a little, uh, we're a day behind because of the Monday afterseason stuff, uh, locker clean out, all that good stuff. So we're doing this on a Wednesday, which also means uh, we're going to take a break in the middle and you're going to get to hear from Lance Riceland like you do on Wednesdays. So uh, we got a, a full look back at the Steelers game. So a packed podcast Today here on uh, the Orange and Brown Talk podcast, Mary Kay, let's get to it. Our football insider subscribers are—they want to know about the defensive coordinators. So let's just start. I got to start with this question because this comes from Nick, who says he's in—he's currently in Turks and is it Caico Islands? Um, I think so. so. He's currently in the Turks and Caico Islands on vacation. And he texted us in a question. So, Nick, of course, we're going to go to your question first. Hey, Mary Kay, which defensive coordinator candidate do you think most aligns with the Browns defensive players and their talents?
0: Well, I am just now uh, starting to work through writing some sort of feature stories and taking a closer look at some of these guys. I just got done with one on Gerard Mayo. Now, my problem is whenever I start to uh, dig into the backgrounds of these guys, I, um, I could, I don't know that I'd be very good in the hiring process because I like fall in love with every one of them. You know, once I start digging in and find out all of their wonderful qualities and I had a, a grand old time doing this story on Gerard Mayo and really enjoyed hearing about him and reading about him. And, uh, you know, he comes from the Bill Belichick coaching tree. So to hear how he, uh, you know, back when he was in his second season, uh, the guys would require him. Uh, to go into Bill Belichick's office, I called it the lion's den. To go in there and ask if he, if they could, you know, get out of pads for the second practice or whatever the case may be, and uh, you know, and how they relied on on him to do that. And he was uh, had this funny quote from a podcast where he was saying, um, "You know," I was thinking to myself, "You know, I can take him. Yeah, I'm. I'll go in and I'll ask him." And uh, so he just seems like he's got that self deprecating humor, that quick wit that endeared uh, Jacoby Brissett to the Browns. I mean, he just seems like he has those, uh, just that magnetic personality. And I think they need that. That's what I think this broken defense needs right now. Somebody to pull them together, to pull the best out of them, and uh, and to see if they can't get them all going in the right direction again. So I really like what I've read so far about Gerard Mayo and then when, you know, when I think about Jim Schwartz, I knew him back in, you know, when he was here in the Bill Belichick era. I didn't know him really well back then, but I knew of him and he knew of me. And, uh, you know, he was, a, he was in the personnel department back then. And, you know, he's a no-nonsense guy. He's, you know, he's tough-nosed. He's got tons of experience. And I think he's got the same kind of leadership qualities that, that this defense really needs, uh, I haven't really done all of my due diligence yet on Sean Desai, who's now with the Seahawks, or um, Brian Flores, who is now with the Steelers. So just starting to really do a lot of homework on these guys, but they've got some really good candidates. And I think that is that might be the number one thing, is to pull these guys together and be able to get the best out of each and every one of them.
2: Yeah, going back to what you said about you know, not being able to, to handle the hiring process because you, you start to, you like all these people, because as it turns out, a lot of these coaches that end up getting coordinator interviews are really ambitious and they're great leaders and they know football really well. And it's like, Oh yeah, of course I'd hire that guy. Um, so that's, I, I'm, I'm kind of the same way you, you start to do research on these guys. And it's like, Oh yeah, of course that, that guy's going to be great. He's going to be the next Bill Belichick. Um, so so we had a question. Let's kind of keep going down the defensive coordinator road here. This comes from Mike in Chester, Maryland. Hey, Mary Kay, do you think the Browns are open to changing their defensive scheme in 2023 to align with the strengths of the players rather, making, uh, rather than making players adjust to their system? And I think this also includes, you know, let's say Brian Flores sits down and says, this is the defense I want to run. And it's a little different than what, than what you guys do um would they be willing to make those adjustments
0: I think so I think they are open to whatever um they can do to make this defense as good as it can get and I mean you don't necessarily want to completely overhaul your whole roster I don't think they'll have to do that I think they've got enough versatility amongst most of their defensive players that they should be able to adapt I mean whether or not in the back end if you want to play you know more Tampa 2 or if you want to play uh, you know more man coverage or whatever you want to do. I think they've got the guys to be able to do that on the back end. The front is where you usually have some differences in philosophy. Whether you go three four four three, whether you go bigger linebackers, um, you know, and, and those kinds of things are a little bit different. But I think that they're going to pick the coordinator and let him put in place the defense. And I think that um, I think that they will be able to adapt most of what they have to what the coordinator wants. And then they can go out and they can fill in the parts and the pieces because they're going to have to do that anyways. They've got to get some defensive tackles and they might have to get some linebackers. Um, so, you know, why not let the coordinator that you love and that the team falls in love with run his game, whatever that is.
2: And one of the things Andrew Barry said yesterday is, you know, they're going to pick players. They're going to sign players to support the coach. That that's sort of how they view this process, and so that includes the defensive coordinator. So if they hire a guy who maybe wants a more traditional looking Mike linebacker, then that, that suddenly becomes a priority in the off season. Or you know if he wants big Andrew Billings type defensive tackles like that, those things become a, a priority in, in the off season all of a sudden. So I think they're going to do whatever they need to do, and I think you're right when it comes to the back end, especially a corner their job is always kind of the same anyway. It's kind of, it's just cover and they, you know, they, they might be better man corners anyway than they are zone corners. You know, there's little stuff like that, but um, ultimately yeah. their job is usually the same in, in most schemes.
0: Yeah. And again, this is, um, you know, this is a personnel department that has put a premium on the versatility of players so that your, you know, your linebackers can drop into coverage and can stop the run and you know traditionally the you know they've been a little bit smaller than what has been beneficial but maybe that holds up if you add to the defensive tackle pile so you know i think the the defensive coordinator that comes in here is going to really have to take an, I'm back to taking unflinching looks at things. Um, But I think that new defensive coordinator is going to have to take an unflinching look at the personnel that they have and be honest about it and say, hey, this isn't going to work. You guys play in the AFC North, uh, you know, against the run heavy Baltimore Ravens, and you're not going to be able to stop that run uh, with this kind of philosophy. So this is how we need to do it. That coordinator is going to really have to tell it like it is. And that's what everybody in this whole organization is going to have to start to do. People have got to stop being afraid to express themselves. Even John Johnson 3 yesterday mentioned that in his exit meetings, he kind of held back a little bit because, uh, you know, he's learned that you don't necessarily want to say too much. But I think it's time for people to say too much or to say enough. And that is going to be Deshaun when he sits down with Kevin Stefanski to talk about the offense that's the defensive coordinators that come in and talk about what they want to run that is going to be the players that in their exit meetings try to tell Kevin and Andrew what they think this team needs to be better so I think uh, you know the time for for holding things in that ship has sailed
2: and the people they're talking to have to be willing to listen you, even yes. if it goes against their philosophy a little bit, even if it goes, if you, even if it makes them a little uncomfortable, mm-hmm. they they've got to be really open minded and and they've got to be willing to to listen and and that's sort of what I if you're going to be a smart you know a smart analytics driven organization you've got to be open to a ton of ideas like that that's sort of how the Browns paint themselves and and they have to live that too not just talk about it
0: yeah because I've asked a couple different guys, you know, this season, you know, have you brought that up? Have you talked about that? And a lot of times the answer is no. And so I don't know if they just feel like they're not going to be heard or if they're afraid to rock the boat. Uh, But I'll tell you what, even in just doing this Gerard Mayo story that I just did, he wasn't afraid to speak his mind to Bill Belichick. And that is like going into the lion's den. So if he could do that with Bill Belichick, certainly these players could do that with Kevin Stefanski, with whoever the new defensive coordinator is, with Andrew Barry, um, without fear that they are going to be hurting themselves or their future. They, they've got to speak up. There are there are too many issues on this team right now related to uh, communication, and it has to get better.
2: All right. Question here about the defensive staff. This comes from Jim in Talmadge. Hey, Mary Kate. will the new defensive coordinator be allowed to clean house with his people or will the Browns insist some are kept?
0: I don't know if insist is the right word, because if you want to attract the best defensive coordinators and there will be competition for their services, uh, you know, if you're getting guys in here the caliber of what we're talking about, uh, they will have other opportunities. So I don't think you can insist that they do anything, but I think you can encourage them and and supply them with some good information, some some good due diligence, and let them know, uh, you know, that hey, these are the coaches that we really feel did a phenomenal job uh, with their parts of the defense this year, and we would like to keep them if possible. Or you know, players really feel they can confide in this coach, or whatever the case may be. I think there will be strong suggestions made to the new defensive coordinator, but I don't think that Kevin Stefanski will insist on
2: anything. Yeah. I mean, you have to let him bring in the guys that he trusts and, and people that he knows he can work with. You can't. What have we talked about with this organization forever and ever? It's just throwing people together that maybe shouldn't be working together. So if there's a position coach that he really wants, then you, you got to let him have that that person. It's just sort of, you made the decision to fire Joe and now Unfortunately, and, and, you know, it's it's tough to talk about flippantly because these are humans and and they have families. A lot of them have families and kids. And and it's it's tough. You know, they're all kind of on pins and needles right now trying to figure out what they're what they're going to be doing next. Um, You know, moving, changing schools, all that stuff. But it's Mm -hmm. also the reality of the NFL. You you have to let a new D coordinator bring in his people and, and make an assessment of the people in your building and decide who he wants to keep.
0: Yes, absolutely. I think that's going to be imperative. I mean, Kevin Stefanski would not want to run an offense with guys that were forced upon him, right? He wouldn't want to do that. He would want to make sure he's surrounded by people that he feels extremely comfortable with, guys that think the way that he does, guys that he can work with and spend all those hours and hours and hours in the meeting rooms together. Um, you know, e- even that, I think, is a skill to set up A coaching staff, at least on either side of the ball, that, you know, that it's got a little bit of humor, that it's got a little bit of toughness, that it's got, you know, some guys that are not yes men, Uh, you know, I, you know, just in the same way that you have to set up your roster that way with, you know, some leaders and some guys that keep things light and some guys that are old school um, in the, in the same way. I think you need that on your coaching staff. I think it's good to have some wise old sages. I think it's good to have some good young guys that are entry level and bring fresh new ideas. Um, Some people that are a little serious, maybe someone that, uh, you know, can crack up the room. Uh, So I would think that the defensive coordinator should have full authority to set up that uh, defensive staff the way that he wants
2: to. All right. Let's switch gears here. We we got a lot of questions about Kevin Stefanski, and we will start with uh, Megan in Pittsburgh. Hey, Mary Kay, why should we? Why should fans believe that Kevin Stefanski quote taking a long, hard look at the offense is going to lead to fewer head scratching moments in game? Uh, she will never get over calling deep passes back to back on third and two and fourth and two in minus twenty degrees and high winds, uh, and doesn't understand. Uh, why that kind of decision requires unpacking later. She doesn't know if he can take this team where it wants to go. I guess it's not really a question, but that's sort of the vibe I got reading through some of the Kevin Stefanski questions we got. Um, Do you think Kevin Stefanski can get this offense figured out?
0: Well, I think Kevin Stefanski deserves an opportunity to call plays for the elite quarterback that the Browns have just gone out and acquired in Deshaun Watson. I think that it's too soon to pull the plug on him before anyone can see what he can do with Deshaun Watson. And we also know uh, that Deshaun uh, told us that a reason why he came here was because of Kevin Stefanski, because of the talk that they had about football when the Browns went down to Houston to try to court him. Uh, last March. So uh, he's one of the reasons that he's here. He feels like he can talk to Kevin Stefanski about the offense. He plans to talk to him more. Uh, And, you know, when he said he wants to talk to him man-to-man, I think in some ways it may have been perceived as, uh, you know, some of of it looked like, you know, when you see it on social media that, you know, he's going to sit Kevin Stefanski down and tell him like it is, you know, tell him what the deal. And that's really not what he meant at all. This was, hey, let's put our heads together. Let's collaborate on this. Let's just put it all out on the table, man to man. Not, I need to tell him, you know, how, how this is going to be done. That's not what that was all about. Um, but I do think that Kevin deserves a chance to see what he can do when he's got the quarterback to run the things that he wants to run. And he's learned, he's educated himself too. And I've always said this about him, and it's, it really is almost – a. Uh, a Tenet or, or you know, a, a Jesuit thing, to have that growth mindset. It's instilled in him uh, to definitely be all about growth and learning and open uh, to new things. And um, and he is that. And I think that in addition to everything that he's learned from the coordinators that he's worked with in his career, uh, I think he's talked to coaches that have coached Deshaun Watson to find out more about what makes him tick and what he does well. And I think he'll be really, really open to what Deshaun has to say and to Deshaun's input. And as we could hear, uh, Deshaun plans to take plenty of ownership over this offense and be all about it. And once again, communication is key. It it didn't happen enough under, um, you know, Kevin Stefanski and Baker Mayfield for whatever reason, Baker harbored feelings of, I don't like how I'm being used. My strengths aren't being showcased. But for that didn't seem to somehow uh, get articulated to Kevin Stefanski. That all has to change. I mean, if if Deshaun sees something, he's got to say, hey, we need two new receivers or whatever the case may be. We need to run 11 personnel. We need to have more elements of, you know, the spread, whatever the case may be. Um, we need to run more no huddles so that I can be more involved in, in kind of running the show when I'm out there, whatever he wants and needs is what he needs to say. And he needs to say it loud and clear. And then they need to go from there.
2: So I'm glad you brought up the man to man thing. Cause I thought that was interesting. And I, I agree with you. I think when you see it on social media, it's like, Whoa, there's like tension here. These guys don't like each other. I do think it's an interesting way to put it though. And it, it at least sort of, you know, I guess I perk up a little hearing it, like not, not that there's a disconnect, not trying to create anything, but I do think it's an interesting way to say it. And it makes me think that, you know, Deshaun's got some ideas of of what he wants to do. And they're probably a little bit different than what we saw in in those last six games that maybe there's a little more, they have to work out. Um, I, I just thought it was an interesting choice of words. And I think he did it. He said it after the game and he said it again on Monday, right? He used the, the man-to-man phrase.
0: I can't remember if he did it after the game or not. He I'll, I'll, check,
2: I'll check the transcripts. But, I yeah, I can't
0: he remember. but he was, you know, he was all about that yesterday. And it also came in the context of, hey, you know, I'm not necessarily going to tell you guys here what it is I'm thinking. I'm going to talk man-to-man to my coach about it. This is not the place for me to say, how I think things are going to be different or how I want things to be different on this offense. That's kind of between Kevin and I is where I think he was going with that. You know what I mean? It wasn't a, you know, I'm going to sit him down and I'm going to tell him what we need to do. It it wasn't like that. Deshaun's not like that. It will be a collaborative effort, but he will express himself and he should express himself. And if it, if it requires a, a drastic change, then, then say it, get it out now, talk about it, take an unflinching look at what needs to happen. And uh, don't wait until game six next season to say, yeah, you know what? I I really felt, you know, I've been feeling like this since you know January that we should have done things this way. Don't do that. I mean, get it out now, put it all out on the table, put your cards all out on the table. Kevin, put your cards out on the table. Alex Van Pelt, all of you. And Kevin did say, he did say, and he always says this, but I really do believe he means it, that he would be open to someone else calling the plays if it makes sense for somebody else to do that. And I don't know if anything has changed from any other year about that when he has sort of said the same thing, because now they do have, you know, a different sort of quarterback. They've got a dual threat quarterback, and there might be somebody out there who actually would be better at handling the play calling and giving Kevin Stefanski an opportunity to oversee the whole process. I don't know if he means that seriously or if it's just, you know, that he would be open to it if the situation arises. I don't know that there, you know, I don't know that changes underfoot in terms of the play calling
2: situation at this point. So the assumption there for most people would be you'd hand it to Alex Van Pelt, but is there, a, is there, a possibility that if he handed over play calling, it could be to someone not in the building right now?
0: I think so. I mean, I you know, I think they would be open to anything, anything that can improve the team. And if they feel there is someone out there, you know, that they could hire that can handle a quarterback like this better than they can, then I think they'll be open to it. Again, I haven't gotten the impression that that's the case. We heard Andrew Berry say again yesterday that he likes the pairing between Kevin Stefanski and Deshaun Watson. So I think the goal and the plan is for them to move forward as play caller and quarterback. But, you know, with all these staff changes that are happening right now and all these coaches that are getting fired and everything that's shaking up all over the league, I mean, if they as an organization uh, discover that someone who can do that job better than Kevin Stefanski becomes available. Um, He should be open to it. They should all be open to it.
2: All right, let's take a break. Uh, We've got Hey Mary Kay questions still to go here on the other side, including one regarding Ashley. I know Ashley listens even when she's not on the podcast. So Ashley, we've got a question about you uh, from one of our Hey Mary Kay uh, text subscribers. So that's going to come up after the break. First of all, though, uh, I got to talk to Lance Rice and we looked back on the Steelers game, got into a little bit of the play calling and stuff like that. And then on the other side of that, we'll continue with some Hey Mary Kay questions. Welcome back to the Orange of or Brown Talk podcast. We are now joined, as we are every week, by Lance and For the final time, looking back at a football game from Sunday, uh, the Browns losing to the Steelers 28-14. to And Lance, every week you, you text me your key points. And I was re- as I was reading this first one, you and I had the same thought watching that game about uh, the identity of the offense. What were you seeing with this team? Well, you've seen it ever since they came, uh, Watson got back, so it's been six
1: weeks, and they just really, really struggle. First of all, non-schematically, they just lack passion. They lack enthusiasm. They lack energy. Um, and then schematically, they're kind of reaching. And as a coordinator, when I was calling plays, there's a difference between calling plays and running an offense. And Uh, With Stefanski's offense over the years, you always felt there was a reason and a purpose. One play was going to set up another play, uh, was going to set up plays for future games. Uh, It all came off that play action. Uh, They've kind of devised their roster in such a way where their run game is the primary thing. And then all of a sudden it changed and they don't look in sync whatsoever. And for me, before schematically, it really
2: starts with their
1: uh, energy and passion.
2: With with Watson, um, I mean, that was a game where, again, it sort of went back, it felt like, too. And he was under pressure a lot. Some of it was self-inflicted. It felt like he kind of went back to that backyard football mode that, that he, he had a little bit in Cincinnati, kind of in Houston. It just felt like, I, I don't know. I guess I don't know how to describe it. He threw the two interceptions. He did a lot of running around. It it felt like he had been making progress really sort of settling in and, and finding his footing in the pocket. And I felt like and maybe this had a lot to do with the Steelers. It felt like that went away in this game.
1: Well, I think it did have – it had a lot to do with the Steelers front and how they are getting after him. But more importantly, I just think that uh, there's a classic example of what are they going to do moving forward. Because that offensive line, uh, I've heard a lot of people talk about teller and pass protection – well, you know, I like the fact that I get to, you know, I was there for all of camp and I got to see them practice. And they are not a traditional practice pass sets over and over and over. West Coast, uh, Air Raid, all this stuff. They are a power run football team. And that's a big difference for an offensive lineman. So what I see in terms of protection, uh, I think those guys can get it. I think they're fantastic. That's just not what they've had to do. And for me, it looked like they're, uh, they became a drop back team. Uh, with run-type linemen, and the
2: scheme, the scheme and schematics just don't match right now. Also, I, I think it's difficult when, I mean, the Browns are passing the ball a lot in, in that game. And, it, you know, we talk about this every week, I feel like, but there were a lot of dropbacks in that game, and, and Joel Batonio even mentioned it afterwards. They were There were a lot of dropbacks, and it just, that, that can be hard on an offensive lineman. Well, if you think
1: about it in terms of how they pass block, so even when they go, when you go back to Baker and um, when Jacoby is in there, so you have play action. And so those offense, those defensive linemen do a great job of reading what the offensive lineman uh, is doing. And the Browns do an incredible job of showing run first. Now, when you show run first, you get the reaction you want in terms of stopping the run from the defensive lineman. Then they get into pass protection. Now you're getting the old adage of pin your ears back and go. Now they know that. Now they're jumping in gaps. Now there's no threat of the run, which is going to change how you, uh, how you pass set. Those guys now, they've, they've really done a great job over the last a couple of years of showing that run first, then getting into their pass set, but almost using their run sets and uh, their outside zone as kind of the primary way to get started in their pass protection. And it's just something they're going to have to, if that's what they're going to do uh, moving forward, then that's how they're going to have to practice, which is going to hurt the run game.
2: Now, when you looked at the defense, there was a, a drive that stood out to you. It was the one where the Steelers went up 28-14. to 14. Uh, Tell me what you saw on that drive.
1: We had three third downs, and I broke down those third down plays. And I, the first one was a back shoulder play, uh, fade to, uh, on Emerson uh, with Pickens, and they really liked that matchup. He only had three catches, but they really liked that matchup. They were trying to find that matchup. To me, that was a matchup. They liked it. Good play both sides, no big deal. Then you had a third and eight. Um, the Browns were then had an injury. You had a third and eight, and they got a 27 yard completion. You had injury to Ward. You had Newsom on the outside. Now you had Green on the inside. Uh, he was on Hayward. Now this is when it comes down to coaching. I thought this was very very well done uh, by Woods and his staff at this point. So they had Hayward in the slot. They were in a man under. Uh, they were in a man under two deep, and those two safeties helped on Pickens. So you had um, Pickens and Deontay Johnson on the outside. Johnson helped on Johnson. And Delpit helped over the top of uh, Pickens on the top, and it kind of left Green one on one. So that's not a that's not a schematic thing. That's not a that's not poor coaching. Okay, that's a guy getting beat. So that's a personnel thing. So I thought they did a really good job uh, on that particular play. Now they had a little attention to detail. The one that bothered me was the third and eight go- down to the three yard line. Um, it doesn't get any easier for a quarterback. So you had. Um, this was on Delpit for me, not Green. So they motioned, they did a little token motion that everybody does in the NFL, and they brought that guy back in the backfield. That was Warren. That showed Pickett it was zone coverage. From that point on, the play was over. And why? Because Green was aligned outside of Hayward. Now, with Hayward being outside, Heath, with Hayward, I'm sorry, with Green being aligned outside, he thought Delpit was going to help him because the field was reduced in the red zone. That's attention to detail. Delpit's way too deep there. Johnson and Delpit were way, way too deep, uh, way too deep. So all they did was they took Gentry and they crossed the face of Jones, and it left that middle wide open. And the reason it was open is because that's attention to detail. Green thought Delpit was going to help because they were reduced down on the goal line, and right when they brought that, right when they brought Warren back in the backfield, and Pickett knew it was own. That play was over, and that's an attention to detail. So the play before was I thought was a little bit more on player. If that one was a little bit of coach, or the safety's not lining up where they were told line up.
2: Okay, quick little detour here before we continue yep. to talk about the defense, because you mentioned the name that drives Ashley and and me both crazy, George Pickens. Both of us really liked Pickens, and both of us really and we're not we certainly weren't the only ones. I think Doug liked him. Um, there were a lot of people that liked Pickens. We thought he would be, you know, obviously. Personality-wise, some of that stuff was out there, but this is a guy that just was a playmaker, and because of that stuff, maybe you can get him at 44, and the Browns obviously decided not to do that, Uh, and the Steelers end up with him. If if he stays right, if if he, you know, and Mike Tomlin is so good at, at managing people, if he stays right, man, he could come back and haunt this team for a long time. He is really good, and I thought he showed us, even with only three catches, I thought he showed us and continues to show that ability that, that he brings to a passing game. Well, two things. First of all, I couldn't agree with you more. He's an extreme talent. But you see what a, a, an elite
1: receiver can do, even if they only have three catches. It's the perception of him being out there and what you have to do as a defense to stop him. Uh, so you know that he's out there. You know you have to s- uh, slide coverage to him. You know you have to help. So with him and Deontay Johnson, that's what gave Hayward that, uh, that big seam shot for 27 yards. But, yeah, he's good at all three levels. I liked him, too. Um, I remember, you know, I, I, I didn't like him as much as I, – I think I didn't, I didn't like him as much as you guys. But now seeing him, he's really good at all three levels. Getting off the ball, the point of catch, and after catch, he's really good. And he, he's going to be a problem
2: for years to come for sure. And, and, by the way, and this is not a dig at Kenny Pickett, but he's doing this with Kenny Pickett, who is, you know, has been up and down. He's only thrown – coming into this game, he'd only thrown six touchdown passes. Like – Pickett is fine. He's, you know, he's not an elite quarterback. He's, he's not, you know, to do this with a rookie quarterback and also Mitch Trubisky, too, for part of the season, I, I just think it, it speaks to his talent. But what could have been? Uh, point number three that you sent me was the defensive effort was a microcosm of the season, and it cost Joe Woods his job. Uh, explain that.
1: Well, you had the inability to stop the run. So those guys had uh, – uh, Harrison Warren had 29 for 120, but for me it was more just the attitude and how they just took it right to the Browns when they needed to, and they got big runs. Again, they were second and five a bunch, second and six a bunch, uh, and they just had an attitude that they were going to run right at the Browns. So you had that defensive tackle thing that we talked about. We've, me and you and Ashley, America, and, Mary Kay, and I, we've talked about it since camp, since since way back in in the summer. So that really, really showed its head in terms of being able to stop the run. Then you had a blown coverage and the Browns, I went and watched it finally got the, when I got the all 22 and they were in cover four and Johnson just, uh, uh, you know, Johnson just doesn't drop for some reason. So again, it, and once again, I don't, I'm just saying his name, cause I know it looks like a cover four, but is he messing up or is everybody else messing up? Cause you don't really know now in terms of like, because there's so many breakdowns who the, who the culprit is there, but there's an obvious breakdown cause they they're in quarters coverage and they got a quarter wide open. Um, and just the inability to make the big play when they need to make a big play, when they need to get a stop. So as bad as that game was, especially from, you know, when they scored a bunch of points there within a minute, nine, all kind of stuff, they went down 20-14, and they just needed to get a stop, and they couldn't do it. And they couldn't do it against a quarterback who had to make three third-down throws that were really, really difficult, and they just couldn't get it done. And it's kind of just – um, it's, I don't think it's all Woods. I don't think it's, you know, I think obviously it all rolls downhill, but it was a, just kind of a microcosm of just giving up the blown coverage, not being able to stop the run, not being able to get a key stop when you need it and just add it up. And it was, you know, you and I have had this conversation uh, week after week.
2: Yeah. And you know, like you said, now, now Joe Woods is, is out of a job and, uh, the, the Browns are looking for a new defensive coordinator. You also mentioned defensive tackles are a bigger issue than, than people understand I'm curious about that because, and first of all, go to Lance's Twitter, at Lance Reisland. He wrote a story about some free agent defensive tackles that are out there. But, but I'm curious about that point because I, people know that these defensive tackles are bad. So why do you think it's worse than, than what people think? Well, because I don't think, you know, to be
1: honest with you, I don't know how bad they are. It's the style. And me and you have talked about that before. They're one gap guys and they go with small linebackers. The style doesn't match the linebackers. So when I wrote about like what they need, it's obviously you're going to read all those guys. I was thinking about you as I was getting them because they're all 330 plus. They're all they're all just huge humans. The co- I just wrote on some college kids as well. Um, and they're all just big guys who absorb people. And what people don't understand is that that is kind of the foundation. It's kind of the heart of the defense. And everything else can be shiny. The skin can be shiny. The other organs can be shiny. You can have all that stuff. But without the heart, and that heart is always, always, always those defensive tackles. Obviously, the Browns have had some elite defensive ends, but if you don't have tackles, it's play after play after play of getting down a distance that you need. Uh, Teams can control the ball. They can control the ball at the end of the game. They can continuously get first downs and keep your offense off the field. Those defensive tackles, it is a personnel issue. It's not an effort thing. I thought those guys played hard all the time, but I stick by kind of what we said earlier in the summer. This is a personnel issue. They don't have guys who take on blocks they don't have guys who absorb doubles. They don't have guys who clog it up in there. And it is shown over and over how how
2: necessary that really is to be successful at that level. At all levels. Yeah, and you know, when you mentioned that heart, like it's not just like it's not just the linebackers, right? They they open things up for linebackers, right? But they also mm. I'm a firm believer that really good defensive tackles help your edge rushers even more so than just having two bookend edge rushers. When you have really good defensive tackles, and I've heard, I've heard guys talk about this, um, if you've got really good defensive tackles, that can free, help free up a guy like Miles Garrett. That can help free up whoever you've got on that other edge. When you have guys that can take up blockers, and, and you know it helps if they can create pressure too, but just make it so much harder to double team. Well, first of all, it's a harder
1: to double-team. Secondly, you're going to get – if you have those big defensive tackles, you're going to get in the down and distance that allow those edge rushers to be successful. So that's what I always talk about. If you can stop the run um, – I had, you know, a guy said, well, the guys you like are only first and second down guys. I'm good with that. I'm good with – let's get let's get it to third and long. Then you're using a secondary that you've invested a lot of money in. Um, you're, you're using Miles Garrett to his strength. Uh, when you don't get in second – if you don't get him behind the sticks – then you can't, you know, if you don't get them off schedule. You can't use those guys. Those guys are nil and void. The secondary is nil and void. The the um the edge rusher. So not only do they cause double teams, but they're going to get you in the down and distance
2: that allow you to be successful uh, as an edge rusher, as edge rusher for sure. Hey, you know what? I I'll take some first and second down guys because there were some brutal first and second downs. <laughs> we'll we'll figure out third down, especially if it's third and eight or third and nine or third and thirteen. Um, we'll we'll figure that out. I'll take some good first and second down guys.
1: Yeah, you need some guys. You know, and I always say it's it's the boring guys. It's the guys that look like it. They look like they're hurting when they go out there. It looks like they're 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 big and they're not creating any pressure. Their their jersey barely fits. They're they're those guys are so important in football. And the Browns just don't have them. Browns have guys who are really good now. Those guys, a couple of those guys, can be really good on third down. Those are the guys that can come in. On after first and second down, and get a, and create a great pass rush, but right now they don't have any any beef in there to take on those
2: double teams. Okay, that's Lance Reisland breaking down the, the Steelers game. Lance, this has been great doing this all season long. And as I mentioned before, uh, this is not the last time we're going to hear Lance on the podcast. We're going to we're gonna find plenty to keep you busy here this off season as we head through free agency, the drafts, getting ready for the season, all of that. So I know a lot of people like uh, hearing what Lance has to bring to this podcast. We're going to take a break. On the other side, we're going to do some Hey Mary Kay questions from our Football Insider subscribers. Lance, thanks for the time. As always, thanks for having me. Welcome back to the Orange Brown Talk podcast, the Hey Mary Kay edition. Thanks to Lance Rison for joining us and, and giving us his look back on the Steelers. He's been great all year, uh, taking time to do that. So now back to some Hey Mary Kay questions. Uh, some of these were pretty, this is kind of what I call, I put them in the random section. So this kind of covers a lot of different things. We start with Paxton Styles from Chevrolet, Maryland. Hey Mary Kay. Do you think the Browns front office expected this to be a lost year once Deshaun Watson got suspended and they were just pretending to try to make the playoffs? Or do you think they actually thought they had a chance to make the playoffs?
0: I think they felt they actually had a chance to make the playoffs. You can't toss a season out the window when you've got all these players in the prime of their career. Joel Batonio, Wyatt Teller, Nick Chubb, Miles Garrett, Denzel Ward, I mean, it goes. the list can go on and on and on. They've got a bunch of players uh, that are ready to win right now, and I don't think that this, by any stretch of the imagination, was about punting on the season. I I just don't believe that at all. I think they felt that Jacoby Brissett was an upgrade over Baker Mayfield and that uh, the defense would play really well and that the special teams would play well. And that uh, and that they would be able to hold down the fort until Deshaun got back, um, and I, I think some things just didn't go the way that they expected them to go. No one thought the defense uh, was going to tank in the the first half of the season. No one thought that the special teams would struggle as much as they did, and. I don't think anyone really believed that Deshaun would be as rusty as he was. I mean, and I think, you know, everyone underestimated just, you know, the acclimation period to a new scheme, a new offense, new players, and all the things that it took for him to figure out in those final six games of the season. So I 100% think that they believed that they could win. I mean, not that they were going to go 15-2. and But I think that they believed that they could win perhaps the 10 games it might need to contend for the playoffs.
2: I I agree. I don't think they looked at this and said, well, it's over. And and, I've obviously been team no excuses all along. Um, Especially when you have, like it's got to kill them to be seeing a team like Pittsburgh uh, with with Kenny Pickett, who is is okay. And and they didn't have TJ Watt for a long time and, they played a meaningful game in week 18 and the Ravens who who knows what's going on with Lamar Jackson, but they, they've been in the playoffs and uh, you know, I know the Jets got eliminated, but that, you know, they were in the race for longer than the Browns were, you know, the dolphins are in the playoffs and and they've been dealing with Tua in and out of the lineup. It's gotta be really disappointing to kind of look at some other teams who were in frankly, worse situations than the Browns. And some of them managed to either make the playoffs or at least play meaningful games right up until the end of the season.
0: Yeah. And Dan, when you look at that lineup of quarterbacks that they played, I mean, they should have been able to beat, uh, you know, the Marcus Mariota's and the Joe Flacco's and the um, Bailey Zappies of of the NFL. They should have been able to do that. There are enough really hard quarterbacks that you have to beat, uh, that you certainly have to beat. The, uh, you know, the average or below average guys. So that was such a concern. And again, I think it just um, illustrates why they felt they needed to do what they needed to do on defense. And they will quickly find out. Um, they will probably fairly quickly find out if it was a lot more than just Joe Woods. And I think they acknowledge that it was a lot more than Joe Woods. And you wrote a column about that yesterday, too. There are personnel issues. There are um, culture issues. There are discipline issues. And it, it needs a nice overhaul over there. Um, you know, there are still some talented players, uh, but, you know, they, they need a new energy. Uh, they need a new vibe. They also need a bunch of guys coming back from injuries, too. I mean, I think it'll really help. If um, if J.O.K. comes back strong, if Sione Taki comes back strong, Anthony Walker, we talked to him yesterday, you know, he would like to be back. He's going to be a free agent. He, he's coming off a pretty serious injury. Um, but if they can get some of these guys back, I think it really changes up what they can do uh, much quicker.
2: And, you know, I, I think just, uh, you know, just trying to kind of figure out this offense with Deshaun, like we talked about, that's really kind of what this is all that's kind of the key to all of this. Just making this work with Deshaun Watson, that's that's sort of the number the number one thing with getting this thing turned around. But um, just a really disapp- just a disappointing season, I think. And and I was glad that they didn't kind of hide from that and just try to pin it all on Joe Woods yesterday.
0: Yeah, they they did not hide from that. And you know, I walked away from from all of yesterday, from the exit meetings and from Uh, from the exit interview, you know, the post, the season ending press conference that we had with Andrew and Kevin. And I can't honestly say I walked out of there thinking, oh, 2023 is definitely going to be a playoff season. I I didn't feel that way. Now, things can change over the offseason, and a lot does need to change, in my opinion. I, I do think that they need to Uh, add some good receivers. I I think you really need to support Deshaun in that way. You can't really have guys coming up the learning curve and expect that he's just going to elevate the play of everyone. I think he needs to find ways to get rid of the ball much quicker. And, of course, that will be easier if you're looking out there and and guys are open or you have uh, more talent amongst the pass catchers. Um, You know, again, defensively, you've got to go out and you've got to spend some money to get a good defensive tackle. And there, there are some that are going to be available on the open market. So you got to get at least one or two of those guys. You've got to, again, change up the philosophy and the energy on defense to bring out the best in all these guys that you thought were going to be so good. You have to make some decisions on some high priced players like John Johnson three, who has a $13.5 million cap number for next season. Um, again, there, is a, there are June 1st considerations with JJ3. If you do anything before June 1st, uh, you, you really can't because your dead cap would be more than $12 million. If you wait until after June 1st, your dead cap is only $3.75 million. So there might be something like that uh, that has to be discussed, but um, there will be change. There will definitely be change, and uh, and they really have to get it right because they cannot waste another 46 million dollar season of Deshaun Watson's
2: okay mini rant can we stop talking about this team winning press conferences please especially when they're on January 9th and it's a season ending press conference can can you know neither of us I'm not talking to either of us but just can can we just stop with the like Browns won a press conference or man, they were really impressive in that press conference and they really controlled that room. And who cares?
0: (laughs) That doesn't matter. I mean, that doesn't matter. The things that matter as we now know are communication, discipline, and really good players. That that's what you need. Discipline, communication, and good players at, um, at most of the key spots. And if they fix those three things, then they should be back in business next year.
2: Yes, they can get back to winning games, which which is kind of the point of, uh, of all of this. Okay, a few more questions here. This one has to do with Jedrick Wills. It comes from Carloso in Plymouth, Massachusetts. Hey, Mary Kay, how long can the Browns go with the 45th rated left tackle? I'm assuming he's talking about PFF grade here. Wills is hardly a young player by NFL years, and it is uh, it's, he doesn't think it's likely he will improve dramatically in his fourth year. What do you think the future is here for, I mean, he has a future here. What do you think it holds for him though, long-term here?
0: Well, the first thing the Browns must do is make the decision on whether or not they're going to pick up his fifth-year option for 2024. And in the category that Jed Wills is in, a first-round player that has not made a Pro Bowl, that number for an offensive lineman should be in the $14 million range. I don't think that's too much money at all to spend on Jed Wills in 2024. Because remember, each year the prices are going to go up uh, at every position anyways. So if you pick that up and it's guaranteed right when you pick it up in, you know, the first week in May, when you pick that up, um, you know, you're kind of stuck with it. But I think it's worth developing him again, this year and for that season. And then if you decide that you don't want to extend him and give him that uh, long-term extension that you're eligible to give him, then you can take these next two years and see where you're at and see if he is exactly what you need at left tackle and see if he can keep coming up the learning curve because he does get better every year. Last year, he was really hampered by an ankle injury. He made strides this year. So that's what you want to do. You want to keep developing him and you want to see uh, if he can get to that level where you want him to be. And you really want him to be at a Pro Bowl level. That's what you are aiming for when you pick a guy number 10 overall. So he's got a little ways to go, uh, but he did make progress this year. And um, I think now they've got two more seasons to determine, uh, you know, if he is their guy long term. If not, you know, then you start thinking about what else you might want to do there. But I do think that they will be inclined to pick up the fifth year option by May.
2: And, I, you know, I think one of the lessons from this year is, you know, see if you can go out there and find like a, an affordable backup plan. Resort, you did it at center actually this year. That was mm-hmm. sort of like the, the shining example. Nick Harris was going to be your guy. You went out and you signed Ethan Posick, uh, you know, obviously a guy you liked. And when Nick got hurt on the second play of preseason, you had a guy who was able to step in. Um, And there were other positions where they, you know, continued down the road with young guys, but maybe they didn't have that really solid backup plan. So maybe that's the approach is, you know, you stick with Jed, which makes sense. You continue to to see if he can develop. And you just make sure you find some value at that. Find some tackle, a swing tackle, whoever. And, And of course you have James Hudson too in the building. Just somebody, just in case, like just in case Jed takes a step back and it doesn't work out.
0: Yes, absolutely. It's such an important position. And once again, uh, you are talking about protecting the franchise. Now, Uh, you've got a $230 million quarterback who, by the way, has a tendency to hang on to that ball until the very last second trying to make a play or to be scrambling around. It's a challenging uh, thing to try to block for. And, you know, you're going to have to find, uh, you know, these guys are going to have to be able to adapt to how do you block for Deshaun? How do you protect him? How do you make sure that you're where you need to be when he takes off and he starts running around or he's holding the ball a little bit longer than you were used to? Um, so it's it's vitally important that he's protected. Um, it's also vitally important that uh, you know that he does learn to get rid of the ball quicker because you're putting yourself in harm's way when you're getting sacked that much. He was sacked 20 times in his six games, and um, and that includes seven times against the Pittsburgh Steelers. That can't happen, okay? I mean, that like that just cannot happen. You have to pull that apart and figure out what that was all about. And I think some of it was, you know, him just really forcing it a little bit and trying to make a play. So they've got to look at that tape and try to figure out how do we make sure that this doesn't happen again? Because when you are, you know, getting hit like that, that many times by that level of talent, one of these times you're not going to get up feeling very good. And so they've got to be very careful and protect that investment in any way that they possibly can.
2: Two more here. The first one, this is going to make us rack our brains a little bit. This comes from Mike in Bay Village. Hey, Mary Kay, what was the biggest mistake made? What was the biggest mistake you made in evaluating the Browns' prospects this year? And what was the most important, non-obvious thing you got right? So I know the thing I got wrong. Well, I got a a lot of things wrong. (laughs) Um, I'm going to throw out Jacoby Brissett. I I think I was wrong about Jacoby Brissett. Like I thought it was going to be pretty rough and he wasn't perfect, but for, for who he is, he came out and had a career year and this offense looked pretty good with him at quarterback. So that, that was, that was definitely something that that I got wrong uh, about Jacoby. I was really nervous about how this thing was going to look with him.
0: Yeah. um, I mean, I would have to say that he exceeded my expectations too. Um, but I think more so than anything for me is I overrated the defense. I really thought that, and it wasn't just one player. I really believed uh, that these young guys in particular, this is what I had been saying, and this is what I believed was going to happen. That the young guys, the Greg Newsoms, the JOKs, the Jordan Elliott's, the Grant Delpit's were going to really step it up. I thought that maybe one or two of them would even have a Pro Bowl caliber season. Instead, almost everyone on the defense, basically except for Myles Garrett, regressed. Everyone regressed. Think about that. Jadavian Clowney went from nine sacks down to two. Greg Newsome didn't love his transition to having to play nickelback. Denzel Ward went from being the 15th ranked quarterback in the NFL, according to Pro Football Focus, to the 45th ranked cornerback in the NFL, according to PFF. Um, You know, I I really, JOK went from being the 10th ranked linebacker in the NFL down to, I can't remember where he ended up, but it wasn't anywhere near the top 10. So all of these guys that we thought, that I thought, um, were going to really step up pick up where they left off last season when they had a really nice second half of last season, it just went in the opposite direction. It went in the reverse and um, and I'm still shocked about it. I still have a hard time believing why that happened like that. I still don't really get it. I still feel like I need to ask those some of those questions of people because I don't know. I just don't really understand why that happened. And um, of course, the hope on their part now is that it was schematic and it was, you know, coaching and it was chemistry and again, discipline and all those things that we're talking about, because they truly believe that these are still really talented players that are going to play well for them going forward. That was the thing that I got completely wrong. And I apologize for that.
2: I thought, um, I thought it was. You know what, though? We we all got the defense wrong. Yeah. I, I mean, we, I don't, we all did.
0: <laughs> yeah. I mean, based on what I saw of just, you know, JOK and Greg alone, I really thought that they would step up in their second seasons, hit the ground running and be really, really amazing this year. And I think they still have it in them. I know they still have it in them, uh, but it just didn't get pulled out right this year. And uh, so that they have to, as Kevin Stefanski always says, they got to pull it apart and figure out what the heck went wrong. I wish he would let us, be in some of those film sessions, pulling pulling it apart. He should give us a, a day in the film room with him like that. That would be cool. Um, so that was that. And then the second half of that question is, did I get something right that wasn't completely obvious? I have to think about that one for a That's, minute.
2: The not completely obvious part is tough. I don't know. Maybe we should just bag that part here without too much prep work to, to think about it. Um, there's a few, do you,
0: have one? do you have, can you think of yours for that one?
2: I think, um, and this is one that you, you and I discussed this a lot. We have, we both thought this team was short on receivers.
0: Yeah. Right.
2: And that ended, that ended up being true. Yes. Um, David Njoku didn't get his eight touchdowns, but he had a good year.
0: Yes. Okay. I'll take, maybe I'll take a little bit of the David and he, he didn't finish as strong as he should have. And the eight touchdowns were not supposed to happen in a year when Deshaun Watson only played six games. The eight touchdowns are when Deshaun and David are together for the whole season. So I'm going to save the eight TDs for next year, but he did play at a Pro Bowl caliber level for much of the season. If you factor in his blocking and Um, He is a pro Bowl alternate and might actually end up going to the big game, the big games, (laughs) the flag football game. Um, So um, so I will take credit for that one, because um, I sometimes feel like I've been out on an island with thinking that Dave Njoku is good and he still has a ways to go. There were times this year where he regressed a little bit in games. Uh, but again, there was that transition from one quarterback to the next. I think that was hard on everybody, probably harder on everybody than anybody thought it was going to be. Um, but I think that is maybe, you know, just a less obvious thing that I feel like I got right, that he he could play at that level.
2: All right, here's our last question. This is a question that was promised earlier, and it, it's actually not a question. Uh, it comes from Joel in Sacramento, who says, no question here. Uh, But hey, Mary Kay, I think the worst part of Sunday's loss is this. If the Browns had won, they would have finished third in the division, and you would have been planning a trip to Las Vegas with Ashley in 2023. (laughs) Is that the greatest failure of the Browns' 2022 season?
0: Oh, my gosh. I mean, do not think that we have not already discussed this and lamented this. We were all looking forward to that trip to Las Vegas. Now, people uh, probably might have like a different vision in their minds of why I would want to go to Las Vegas. Uh, You might have, you know, just these, you know, ideas of wild partying and things like that. But that's not really it for me. And I don't really think that would be it for Ashley either. We like really good shows. We like really good shopping. And we like really, really good dining. And so I think that's, you know, what we would have been all about, where Dan would have been in the casinos all night. We probably wouldn't have done that. Um, But we nevertheless would have had a great time in Vegas. And I am mourning the loss
2: of that opportunity. I mean, I'll just say this sitting next to Ashley for the last week or so. I think she might spend the whole weekend in a sports book. (laughs)
0: Yeah, we've we've started something dangerous, right? And she didn't really know how to talk betting. And I had to figure out how to talk betting too. you know, a couple of years ago, when we started doing our uh, pods, uh, where we discussed all the, you know, the bets and the lines and all that kind of stuff. And she was kind of back there where I was then a couple years ago, when I just didn't understand it very well. Uh, but she's getting it now. She, she's getting it and uh, she's getting into it. So hopefully she doesn't, uh, you know, hopefully we don't have to get her some help in the off season.
2: We're uh, we're guiding her along. We're keeping we're keeping her safe. That's what, that's our job. <laughs> that's what we're supposed to do, which we would have done had we gotten to go to Vegas in 2023. Right. But alas, we have to wait until 2024 uh, mm-hmm. to, to make that trip. Okay, that'll do it for this edition of the Orange or Brown Talk podcast, the Hey Mary Kay edition. Those questions came from our Football Insider subscribers. Uh, they are our texters. They also get a newsletter delivered to their inbox every day, and they get access to exclusive stories on cleveland.com slash brown. So just head to cleveland.com slash browns, click the blue banner on the top of the page to get info and get signed up. And also subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts, where you can leave us a five-star review, Spotify, and if you prefer YouTube, uh, search Cleveland Browns on cleveland.com. Uh, to find our YouTube channel, there's a lot more than just the podcast on there. you won't uh, you won't regret subscribing to that if you're a YouTube person um, a YouTube person. I don't know if that's that's the right term. <laughs> but anyway, <laughs> thanks to Mary Kay. thanks to Lance. Uh, that'll do it. Mary Kay, I'll talk to you later. Sounds
0: great.